No, seriously, you got this. No. <laughs> hey, welcome to the True Wealth radio show where i'm not sure if that's the way the show should have started but <laughs> you've got this katie i'm yeah. your host dave little john and we're about to put katie on the hot seat no david uh, so you know we always bring in the numbers about how the markets have performed for today and compared to yesterday and also compared to last week and uh david lately has been updating the sheet and he was busy with the client so i did it and i handed it to him and he goes is this, is this updated? And I said, yeah, I just did it. You're welcome. <laughs> He's yeah. like, okay. You could talk about it. because. Uh. <laughs> well, the, I mean, the good news is the S&P and the NASDAQ are both up, right? It looks right. like the Dow's down just a hair. A like, skosh. I mean, it's like, yeah, a skosh. Skosh is probably a good word, right? 0.08%. Like, that's not. Right. I mean, that's hardly any movement, really. Yeah. It's like, well, uh, it's and see, bad. we didn't update the 52 week high. Did we hit one? Uh, we did on the S&P. On the S&P 500? I, we did, yeah. I believe so. Yeah, that one's updated yeah, June, that... 20, June 21. Um, and, but I think we may have even. No, taken we're that higher out. now because we're that taking... was at 2964. Correct. So we're at 2979. We've been up to as high as 2994, 2996 on the S&P. And that's the one that I track. The Dow, I don't know off the top of my head. That always throws people like, well, don't you track the Dow? And I go, not that much. So if you look like the Dow, I did actually look at the Dow a couple of weeks ago, and 26951 was the high last October. I don't think it's. So yeah, hasn't taken it out yet. I don't think it's taken it out yet. The Nasdaq has. The Nasdaq's come up this year. The S and P five hundred's come up this mm -hmm. year. So, uh, Rob, what is it you're looking for? We got people sneaking you're around lost. in this the, is in the, the true DJ wealth radio booth. Show. <laughs> I know. We're gonna drag yeah, you in though. Oh, oh, he's going to say he's cleaning up the books. That's what's happening. All right. Uh, Not sure Feather Duster is going to work on that, though. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's supposed to be a metaphor, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yes, folks, it is that kind of Tuesday, let me tell you. Between the holiday, lots of family in town. I know you've been entertaining all weekend. I know I've been entertaining all weekend. I have some weird... Yeah. Voice well, we, thing going on with allergies. People. I don't know if I am entertaining. I think you're uh, entertaining. I'm pretty sure you've been entertaining all weekend. So, well, uh, suffice it to say, it, it's almost like this is a this is the normal week that can't be normal because there's been a previous week that's not normal. Right. I mean, we didn't have a Muse Day. I mean, we still had a full Monday yesterday, but being closed Thursday and then it's our office was it's closed. It's pronounced Tunday. <laughs> Because <laughs> there's a ton of stuff to do. Yeah, you it's, always sit there. It's amusing. No, it's a ton. Of day. Uh, I always think it's kind of amusing to see what happens when you, you have know, to do two days worth of work into one. But ton day. It's a ton day. Well, we, we didn't have a ton day this we week. We go round and round on this one on the air. Uh, it, it, you know, the, the funny part, the discussion doesn't leave the uh, booth, right? We, we leave the recording studio and we're, we don't talk about it anymore. Uh, no, we move just, on. Yeah, we just move on. It's life is too busy. The office is too busy. I mean, there's, you know, it's not like we sit around all day and go, hmm, uh -huh. what do you want to talk about? And yet, my favorite expression of late, busy does not mean productive. Okay. Right. This is actually relevant. Right. I'm going to make a case for this, and I'm going to make this market relevant. Uh, I am getting a number of people that are asking me, well, so what's going to happen to the markets? Don't they ask you that all the time, though? Yeah, I can. This really can. I mean, be a I feel like this is an ongoing forever. question. Like, yes. you know, they're waiting for you to put on like your Nostradamus hat and be like, "I predict in the future it's going to be." I do. So watch this. You're okay. gonna love this. I love it. I predict the S and P 500 will hit 3100. When? Oh no, no, you didn't ask for that. You oh. just asked for a prediction. Now you're wanting specificity, and that's <laughs> not gonna happen. So what is it? I can tell you. 
Yeah. What, what are I, the two I, things, but they can't go together? Yeah, I, I can give you a price or I can give you a time, but I can't give you both. Right. Okay. So there you go. There the, you have it, folks. Uh, but let's talk about this because it's really novel. Uh, we've talked a little bit on the program before about different ways uh, analysts try to project where values are headed for various indexes, stocks, just investments in general. So right. uh, there is no consensus on how to do it. In fact, many analysts choose multiple approaches trying to triangulate at what a fair market value is. And then the funny thing is, in an auction marketplace, the fair market value is essentially what somebody is willing to pay for it or what someone is willing to sell it for. Isn't that always like, is that's, it a buyer's market or a seller's market? Like, it's not even that. It's always whatever the, the last transaction was is sort of the price. And it's the bid or the ask. What is somebody, the bid, what is somebody willing to pay for it right now? I have a bid. I'm willing to, I'm willing to buy it for this price. And the ask is, I own it. I'm willing to sell it for this price. When those two prices meet, a transaction occurs. When that transaction occurs, that's the listed price. If a transaction hasn't occurred, then you're also looking at the bid and the ask. So that carries across a bunch of markets because even real estate's that way, right? Everything. I have my house listed for this price. Yeah, this is the offer. Like if we meet in the middle, the transaction happens. If we don't, and then that's then, the price, right? And then and that's the otherwise, price of the house. you have the asking price or the bid price, right? So uh, price is a moving target all the time because an auction is constantly exchanging. And so what you see is when the the little lines are going up, that means there's. Uh, presumably more buyers than sellers, so the price is being bid higher. When the little line goes down, there's more sellers than buyers, and therefore the price declines. Right. So it's essentially supply and demand playing out in real time. Right. How okay. do we determine a fair market value? Well, the market will do it for us, but analysts try to project it where a value ought to go based on uh, fundamental or technical data. What is the difference between the two for our listeners? Okay, so fundamental data is the measurable stuff primarily, although some of it can be somewhat uh, subjective, right? But but by and large, it's things like earnings and uh, the, the kind of so number data that you get from... How the company performed? How many units are you know, how many widgets units were sold? they sold? Gross how many receipts? people are there? Okay. You know, how many outstanding shares are there? And uh, what is the projected increase in sales into the future? Those are all fundamental measurements. Okay. Of, you know how something's performing. And what was the other one that you said? Technical. Technical. And what okay. is technical? Technical data? is the study of price and volume <laughs> movement. So that's like watching the way the auction is behaving. Oh, okay. How so you're not actually watching the prices per se, but you're no, watching how the behavior. The behavior of the participants. And you're watching it indirectly because you're just watching the results of the auction, right? You're just saying, here was the bid and the ask, here was the price at various times, here's how many here's how much volume was traded. So how many shares were exchanged at this price versus another price? Okay. When did it occur? Are we seeing in ex more people showing up to entering the market or are people exiting the market? So are there more more volume or declining volume? So Those if we had new investors, should they look at the fundamental data or the technical or both? Or well, and do you look at both? Yes, is the answer. I, I, but, but to your last question, you know. Yeah. So yes, so, David looks at both. But should if we have new investors, what kind of data should they be looking at? Well, this is where you get into theory. Okay. okay. So the 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 hardliners would say that you only use fundamental data. Okay. Okay. And they will say that in fact technical data has no value whatsoever in a long term investment. It's hocus pocus and it's stupid. <laughs> okay. Okay, and yet I would say uh, 
that I disagree. Okay. Uh, the markets are heavily computerized at this point, and there are what we call trending patterns that you can see and, and there are lots of different things that you can observe that provide statistically high probability indication that something's going to occur. Interesting. So okay. trend following has uh, been studied before and it's a funny thing to say but it works until it doesn't but the trick is if you have an expanding trend for a period of time then uh, you don't have to necessarily trade the entire trend. It's also should be noted that uh, investing and trading are not the same one. thing. Well, if you're thinking about the way a graph looks, let's say that you've got uh, a, a, a rising price and it's it goes up for 30%. Okay. So the price is going to increase 30% over the next seven weeks. Okay. If wow. You, if you miss the first week and the last week, you only get five weeks of that move. Instead of getting 30%, you get 24%. Okay. Uh, it was still a pretty good trade to have a 24% increase right. in still five happy. weeks. Still went in the right direction. Okay. Right? And this is totally fictional, by the way. Uh, but that scenario would be, well, what you did was you caught the meat of the trend, the biggest part of the middle of it. Uh, like a bell curve. In a, in a some Right, respect. like it's narrower on the beginning and on the very end, but it's kind of thicker in the middle. Yeah. To me, it's just uh, the, the idea is trend capture. You know, when you're invested 100% of the time, you get 100% of the trend. If you're only invested part of the time, you don't get 100% of it. But if you get the majority of it and you can improve the metric of downside risk versus upside risk, then that's an improvement. So, uh, and obviously, I'm going to speak to the things that I believe in. It's something that our firm subscribes to is that we believe in a cocktail of both fundamental and technical or also known as quantitative analysis. And it's also why you listen to the show, folks. Let's yeah. be honest. You're trying to find out what David knows, right? And see what the secret sauce is all about. Right. And so the, the secret sauce, which is sometimes not necessarily all that secret, I share uh, a fair amount of detail, but we have some... Uh, a lot of it is generated by tremendous amounts of research. And computerization has changed the way we invest because we can now test large volume of data pretty quickly. It used to be you would have to manually chart something, and it took forever. You know, I would say that, you know, if we had a plumber on the show, for example, and he was describing how to do plumbing. Now, it doesn't mean that I couldn't understand how to do it, but would I be able to technically carry it out? Maybe. Yeah. And Maybe not. And I think that's the difference, right? Like, there's a difference between having somebody explain something and you go, yeah, okay, I kind of understand that in concept or in theory. But practical application is a little bit different, right? Because when you actually get down to following all of the steps, like what David's doing a lot of times when he talks about our investment process is really talking more theory, right? Like we're talking, um, and even process, we're talking about the process. But that doesn't mean that he's giving you the step-by-step -step instruction manual. Right. Like it's um, and I feel like sometimes even as a baker, it's like there's certain things I can bake from scratch. I don't have to look at the instructions. I just kind of do it. Right? right. But when you actually have to write down every single little thing you did or the measurements or the steps, you forget things like you do it kind of so naturally because you've been doing it for so many years that try, you're, uh, again, you're not explaining it step by step to yeah. somebody who wants to DIY. We, we, it's, we've talked about putting on a clinic before where we walk folks literally step through step by step through our process it's a funny thing because I think a lot of financial professionals are afraid that if they give away their secret sauce right that that people are gonna say they're gonna steal their ideas and then they're they're just gonna do it themselves and my take on this after 20 years in the business is if you're a do-it-yourselfer, you're seeking knowledge. So you're going to find knowledge from lots of sources. You're going to synthesize that knowledge into your own 
value proposition and you're going to go actually do it. Right. Because you're a do-it-yourself person. So right. what you're seeking is constant information. And I go, well, let me provide what I can. You know, I'm going to let you glean from that information and we'll share experience and so forth. But the vast majority out there... Are they, not DIYers. Well, even if they were, they'd run out of bandwidth. I use this term a lot. Uh, it's how much can you put into your day? Right. You know, and so if it's not a core interest of yours, then are you going to find yourself not getting to it? And if, if the answer is yes, I'm not going to get around to it in a timely fashion. That can be dangerous. Th- yeah, folks. then you outsource it. Well, right? but I'm just saying, like, if you if you think, you know, I, I don't know about you, David, but I know personally for me, there's things where I'm like, I'm going to start on this journey. And about two or three weeks into it, I'm like, yeah, it's not fitting into my schedule anymore. And I kind of lose. It's not interesting anymore. Right. Everything's always exciting when you first start. Right. right, like you're watching well, it grow, but like a I mean, gym after, membership, right? <laughs> yeah, bingo, right? Oh, anybody's diet they've ever started after about a month, they're like, Yeah, I'm done oh, with this. So, <laughs> but my point being is that you know, if you're a DIYer, make sure that you are consistently following up on it. You know, I'm put it on your calendar, make sure it becomes a regular huh. part of your habit. Because if you if it's something that you start and you kind of just set on the back burner. You're letting your finances yeah. and your retirement roll without anybody watching it. And that kind of is scary a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's that or you need to really have a high level of conviction that you're a buy and hold investor, period. And so if you're going to buy some mutual funds and just set it and forget it, that is a strategy. Well, my children uh, have a saying, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. <laughs> well, and you will. Uh, my, my personal take on this one is that through some simple things that you can do, things like, for example, uh, regular rebalancing, it doesn't necessarily produce year-over-year-out performance, but what it does is it produces good uh, risk-adjusted returns because what you do is you sell your winners and buy your losers. Now, that a, sounds a, really odd because wouldn't you want to sell your losers and buy the winners? Well, I like to buy things on sale. See, this is where this is where emotion and you know can get in the way of it. So you got to be careful when you do that. So I'm going to repeat that again just for our listeners because I want to make sure they heard it your way and not my way, right? Okay. So you sell the winners to buy the losers. Yes. And I asked David again, why don't you sell the losers and buy the winners? Because, because I like to buy things on sales. You like to buy things on sales, right? So if they, if they're if they're losing, I don't even like that term either. But um, if no, they're, so this. So explain right. that a little bit further because that that's an interesting concept, right? To sell the winners to buy the losers. Okay, so sell the winners to buy the losers. We'll we'll talk about it, but let's. Well, I'm going to force people to. You got to survive the break. So <laughs> we'll take the break when we come back. Why sell the winners and buy the losers? Uh, there's this. It's it's beautifully, elegantly simple and yet so profound. So stick around. We will be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. Thank you. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Uh, I converted him. It's not a program. Okay. It's a show. Because we're entertaining. Yeah. And smart sometimes. Maybe. <laughs> I like to think I'm smart. I like to think you're smart. I'm always like, can you say you're smart? I think then I have the Homer Simpson. That's MRT. La, la, da. <laughs> oh, it is amazing what references pop into your brain, right? Like, it'd be fun. Uh, so. Well, it's it's what happens when you operate on habitually too little sleep. So, uh, so we were talking about selling the winners to buy the losers. Right. And this sounds so funny. Why would you... So you're investing out there, and the question is, well, are you working with somebody, or are you doing this yourself? 
And so we said, well, if you're a do-it-yourselfer and you're going to be a passive investor, meaning hey, I'm just going to set it and forget it, okay? So your kids get what they get. And you don't throw a fit. Yeah, yeah. perfect. You just kind of get it, get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. Well, here's the good news. If I'm going to, first of all, if you have a 401k out there, there's, and you're in a, like a programmatic 401k, so you're doing regular monthly contributions or something like that. Uh, oftentimes, the 401k provider will make it so that you can set up an ideal model investment. You could either do what they call an age-based investment, right? Which hey, is I'll what? Just, it's a mutual fund that's actually a mutual fund full of other mutual funds that is designed to be more aggressive when you're younger, and then it automatically converts to something more conservative as you get closer to retirement. Now, why is that important? Because you would think, man, if I'm closer to retirement, I want to earn as much as I can. Because you could also lose as much as you can. Ah, see, there it is, folks, right? So you want to be more conservative. You want to yeah. make sure to hold on to what you have right. the closer you get to the finish line. Yeah, you can... Your time horizon is very important when considering how much risk you're willing to take because you need to have the ability to ride through a, a bad spot or a soft spot in the economy for things to improve again. And if you have to enter retirement or access your investments during that soft spot, then you it could be really destructive. Right, you know, right. If, if and you think about just the dollar figures as well. I'm going to retire and I need a thousand dollars a month. I have a hundred thousand dollar account that would last me you know, a hundred months. Okay. Okay. Uh, if I have $200,000, it's 200 months. It's double the retirement length, right? right? Well, so I, I'm going into retirement. I've got my social security and some other stuff and I want a hundred dollars a month and I've got a nest Thousand. egg or sorry, no, uh, whatever the, the case is you've, you've, but you're saying I'm going to start taking a regular monthly income from my, my IRA or my 401k when I retire. Okay. And then we have a 2008 event and that account gets cut in half. Yeah. You still need $1,000 a month, but now it it's twice as painful to take it out of the account. Right. And your account doesn't really recover much usually after that, too. Like, because you're not only did it get cut in half by the market, I mean, it can't, it, it will. Well, no, the account would recover if you didn't have to take distributions. Yeah. But, 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 but I mean, it cuts, gets cut down, in half and you're taking money out at the same yeah, time. So it's then, just kind of yeah. getting cut all over the place. Yeah. At some point, it's looking like it's, chop suey. It's just too aggressive too, it's to... too many hands in the cookie jar you you know you can't uh, i like to use the water analogy you know uh, if you have a bucket of water okay and you you have a ladle and the ladle is you taking money out right you come into the bucket and you scoop it out well the amount that it is earning is like having a spigot that's turned on okay so the spigot's filling the water up in the bucket and you're ladling it back out if you ladle it faster than the spigot you're going to run out of water right okay now the bucket isn't shaped or it's it's a it doesn't work like compound interest that's the thing because your ladle you only need so much of it if you're taking out less than is going in compound interest means the interest is earning interest on the interest so ultimately that account can start growing even even in spite of the distributions because right. you just have a big enough account that it it, it grows more than and what you're taking out we have clients that have done that like, oh, sure. like their account's still worth right. way more now than it was, and they've been taking nice distributions yes. their whole entire life. So, but yeah. The flip side of this is the markets taketh away, and so your account shrinks, and you're still coming in there with a the ladle. Now you've also lost the interest growing on the interest growing on the interest, right. right? So it's very destructive when you have distributions that are too high during 
uh, period when you've, you've got a market correction. Well, didn't you? So you have a special number that you like on distributions to not touch the nest egg. And what percentage yeah, 4%, was that? 4%. And, and where did you get 4%? So that's there's just been a lot of research around the, the field. And what that is, is we call it the sustainable or the safe withdrawal rate. Uh, asterisk, right? There's no guarantee in life. So it doesn't mean that it's for sure safe. But you look at most any typical retirement period, say a 25-year period of retirement distributions, and you look at almost any circumstance in the investment markets where you would have invested and you should be able to have the money last 25 years with a 4% withdrawal rate. There you go. Roughly. And like I said, there's, there, you'll, there'll be some people that can say, well, if you picked it just right and invested in no. stupid <laughs> stuff, you could wreck. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if you invest your life savings in Enron and you know, right there in the late 90s and then- you Yeah. Know, if you poof. bought Apple back when it wasn't worth anything, you know, yeah, you feel how pretty many good decades about it. ago? <laughs> yeah. You feel pretty good later. Uh, so the, the point is not that, but the, the question is back to, you know, why sell the winners by the losers? It's a risk reduction strategy. See, what happens is the winners are the things that just had all the money flow toward them. Remember, it's an auction, right? Oh. The, the, the marketplace is an auction. So it's been bid up. Yeah, so it's at full value at this point. Well, and it may go higher yet, but the things that are beat up are usually the things that are on sale. Everybody fled them for a while, and that's the ones that become values. So unless they're going out of business, they're on sale. But the things that everybody flocks to are the things that are overpriced, right? This is like the idea of right now, I don't know what to make of it, but uh, by the way, this is not investment advice, just commentary for a moment, all right? Because I'm going to talk about a specific stock here. There's a, a stock that IPO'd on the market uh, what, a couple months ago, maybe, okay. called Beyond Meat. Oh, yeah, Del Taco serving them in there. Right. It, you see it on there. So, Beyond Meat is a meat alternative. It's a plant based product that is designed to mimic the texture and flavor of meat. Yeah, okay. Okay. It kind of does. Well, but, the, but for people who don't eat meat, the IPO's it's up like 500% in two months. Oh, wow. Months. Okay. Okay. 500%. So it's it's been a massive run. The problem is when you look at what the company is worth, how many shares are outstanding and tradable, and what the profit margins are, what the future earnings are, and also the physical capacity of the marketplace to provide the raw materials to make the, the, beyond, the, meat. the beyond Meat and what that would involve. Uh, at one point, I think the value of the company exceeded the value of all of the crops in the United States that would be needed to make <laughs> the product. So, so basically, there's a lot of hype around it because it's the brand new shiny object and everybody went, woohoo! And yes. we haven't, but the problem is there's no track record, right? Like, I mean, because it's brand new. Right. So, so the question is do you come in now and buy it at these kinds of valuations? Or not? Or do you wait and see what happens? And you know, with it, it could go five hundred percent more. But I look at the numbers and go, mm. at some point, a company has to have money. Like it has to have profits behind this valuation, or it's just speculators driving up the price. And if the speculators leave the marketplace, then what happens to the price? It drops, and there's nobody else to buy it. And right. Then all of so, a sudden, you're stuck with a stock worth half of its value. Yeah. So would I want to? So here's the thing about the strategy I just discussed. Let's say that our strategy is that we want to have 20% in five different categories of the market. So we have five investments with 20% each. Okay. And one of those doubles in value. It's now 40% of the portfolio, and the remaining four are 60%, or 15% weighting in each. Right. So 40% weighting in one, 15 in each of the others. The 
safety move is to say, well, let's sell off our winner. Yeah, because we made a bunch of money. So we'll sell half of it back to the original 20% waiting and we'll take the profits and we'll buy the other four and, and rebalance it, it. We've capitalized on our profits. We have reduced our exposure to the asset that is presumably at a super high value. Okay. And we have purchased things that were more attractive on the value scale. Okay. So we've rebalanced our account to make it more attractive. Which is important. Rebalancing is part of portfolio management. Correct. And so in a 401k or an automated program, that can be designed to happen automatically. Uh, maybe you have a robo-advisor or something like that. That's often part of the strategy. It's just a systematic quarterly or semi-annual or annual rebalance. And, and that's do, what they're doing. And do we rebalance on an automatic way or do we manually redo it, like do it? Uh, so our process is what we call tactical. Now there is a difference between what I just described to you, which is strategic okay. versus tactical. Oh, okay, now we're getting in some different terms here. Right, so strategic versus tactical. What does strategic mean? Strategy, I'm guessing, but I'm pretty right. sure you're gonna tell me, right? Right, strategic means that we have a strategy and we're gonna to stick to it and we're gonna come back to that strategy. What does tactical mean? What does tactical mean? Tactical means you wait until after the break. Oh, hang right? in there, folks. Yeah. So it's when gonna we be good. come back, we're gonna talk about what is tactical investing. Sounds that good. and more. So until then, this is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. And we're back. We're back. All right. So we were talking about strategic versus tactical. Yes. We'll stay on topic because for our podcast listeners, they're like, <laughs> we never left. Right. Because the commercials get edited out for the podcast. Yeah. David and I get like shiny object syndrome. It's like we, we stop talking about something. We're like, oh, look, this other shiny thing. Just I know. Walked and, in. <laughs> and our podcasters are like, you were going to say the thing and then you didn't say the thing. Like, oh. Oops. You so know, <laughs> so funny. My pastor is notorious for that. We in our sermons we always have like two things we're supposed to fill out at the very end and he always forgets to give us one and it drives me bananas. I'm like, just put it up on the screen, I'll write it down. You don't even have to say it. Just, just give gonna it to tweet me. it later. You I know. Just have to, I know. You know. It just drives me crazy. Just just follow him on Twitter, it'll be fine. <laughs> All so, right. Strategic versus tactical. Strategic versus tactical. Okay, so remember strategy is just that, what it sounds like. You create a strategy, you rebalance back to it. It's more of a fixed point. Okay. It's a plan. You have a plan, you stick to the plan. Well, it's I, I'm not going to go go that far. A strategy is exactly what one would sort of in, intuit about it, which is that it's more like here's your your mix. Okay, I'm going to have this percentage in stocks, this percentage in bonds. I'm going to have this percentage in alternative assets. It's going to be broken down by these subcategories, and when these categories get out of whack, I'm going to rebalance back to the original categorization. It's the recipe. That's my strategy. It is a recipe. That's a good way to look at it. It's a recipe. Tactical is like saying, you know, I'm not in the mood right now for this recipe. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going... in the mood for vanilla pudding. I want chocolate yeah. cake. Well, but you know, you're, you're working with vanilla pudding, but you go, but you know what would be good with vanilla pudding is... Some fresh raspberries. I was going to say <laughs> raspberries, right? And so everybody's I like... I speak Davinese. <laughs> Ooh, raspberries. All right. I see where you're going with this and say, and you know what? Maybe a chocolate wafer or two. Oh, you know, I'm just I'm thinking hungry. that we're going to kind of do this. Or, you know, you say, well, you know, vanilla pudding sounds okay, but what would really be good is creme brulee. All right. Ooh. And whatever the case, you get the idea that you're going to modify the recipe a little bit, and it's based on your taste in the moment. Well, 
tactical is about trying to modify a strategy be to, a strategy to be adaptive in the moment to the conditions. Right. And sometimes it is about trying to be adapted to where you believe things are going. This is the term uh, Wayne Gretzky would say, skate to where the puck is going. I like that. I, yeah. Okay. You've, you've so, said that one a few times, yeah. and I like that. And, and, and this is there's lots of sports analogies about it, but if you think about uh, somebody, uh, you know, the, the football quarterback throws the ball to where the receiver is going to, not to where the receiver is. Otherwise, the receiver runs away and the pass falls behind them. So they are adapting to the changing conditions. Okay. okay. And they're anticipating in many cases. So, the, you know, the football folks out there are even familiar with something called a timing route. They better be there because the ball's getting thrown. (laughs) Well, and you talked about, you know, you talked about selling the winners to buy the losers and different things, too. So some of that's part of tactical, too, right? Or or maybe even swapping an investment out for another one if it's not performing or, you know, kind of looking at it and and keeping eyes on it constantly. So it's not the buy and hold scenario. Well, just so we're clear, paying attention to it doesn't make it tactical. Okay. Okay. That's thank not, you for the clarification. Yeah, that doesn't make it tactical because you can you can watch a strategic account a lot. What would make a strategic account become tactical is when you you rebalance on a more discretionary basis, or perhaps you use a trigger point instead of a timing. Now that seems silly or semantic, but I'm not just going to rebalance it once okay, a you quarter. You said trigger point, and I thought of like a gun, and that didn't make any sense. So the, can you, you know, explain not that? Like a, not, not, let's say I'm not going to rebalance it until my asset mix gets beyond this much out of whack. Like it's acceptable that it's going to grow. Like some assets are going to grow faster than others. And I'm just going to leave it be until they get outside of a range that's acceptable. And right. when they reach that tipping point or trigger point, then I will address it. Okay, so okay. I'll, I'm happy with it. But if it gets over 15% in one position, it should have been 20, and it's up to 25. That's okay. If it hits 26, it's too much. Okay, and then at 26, I'm going to rebalance. Then I'll rebalance it, it back okay. to 20. So you're not. Right. So it's not like oh, once a month, like clockwork, I'm going to do it. Right. It's, Hey, like I'm gonna wait until it hits this parameters. Right. But here's where tactical would really shift things, and this is where some of the things that we have done as investors uh, in in our office, we would say, okay, we have a general strategy that says we need to have uh, a mixture of both stocks and what I will call, I'm going to say, normally you say stocks and bonds, but we made a tactical decision to minimize the number of bonds that we hold for our clients right now because of the conditions in the fixed income market. And instead we went with alternatives to bonds. They produce a similar academic effect in our strategy, meaning they reduce the risk of our equities, they provide more consistent income, but they're an alternative asset class. As an example, we might use real estate in place of bonds. Uh, It's a fairly stable value asset in most cases, especially if it's not traded on an exchange, if it's more like a physical structure and there's regular rental income especially if it's a multi-unit structure so so it could be correlated but it's not directly tied to the market correct it is an alternative structure that produces a similar academic result which is we want to lower the risk of the strategy like we would have been doing with fixed income instruments but we don't like the risk reward trade-off in fixed income so tactical decision is to substitute one asset for another so you a lot of times when you're talking about risk and strategy and stuff it's you use the uh use water as an example right so like some things let's say stocks are hot right hot water and bonds and alternatives are cold water Right. right and then somebody comes in and says well i like it warm 
You know, right. let's, so, let's, you, so you mix them together. So you mix the amount of hot and cold together till you get that person's warm. Although now, everybody's thing, warm or hot is yeah, a different temperature. I would suggest that that could still be strategic in nature. Okay. Once we figure out what's the right temperature, okay, well, let's just set the temperature for you. But what I'm saying is that, you know, maybe we don't want to use, maybe fixed income and alternatives shouldn't both be water. Right. It's like saying, well, we're going to pour coffee in there instead. Oh. Uh, now, it's terrible for the idea of a bath. Okay. Um, I don't know. There are coffee baths out But there. let's talk. So let's use a different analogy. But let's say you're pouring a cocktail. Okay. And you say, well, you know what? I could have a rum and Coke or I could have a put a, a bourbon and Coke. Okay. Okay. So you could substitute rum and bourbon or you could substitute Coke for Pepsi or something like that. They are... There may be specific reasons that you make the substitution. Right. Now, price, flavor, uh, taste, whatever. Okay. What, whatever it may be that's the, the rationale. It could have been, yeah. Availability. Price is a, price is a good one. I only yeah. had rum. I didn't have bourbon. <laughs> uh, and now all of our listeners are like, what the heck's going on, bartender? <laughs> um, so maybe it's a bad analogy, but I want it to stick in your head that sometimes you alter the recipe and it could, you're baking cookies, right? Hey, I don't have chocolate chips uh, that are, they're not sweet, they're semi sweet. Okay. Well, okay, well, if you want to make that substitution, you can. Uh, you know, I'm going to use brown sugar instead of white sugar. It'll be a slightly different result. True. Okay, those are all reasons that you would change the recipe. And that's what a tactical decision is as well. The economic conditions are such that I want to change the recipe because I think it will produce a more favorable outcome. And that's part of what we do. Okay. okay. Now, then there's another element that you can layer on top of it if you really want to get uh, deeper into the weeds. And that is, we know strategic is relatively static in nature. We know tactical is more dynamic in nature. Okay. So one of the terms is then you can go to a fully dynamic strategy, meaning that you will be responsive in real time. You won't just evaluate and say on a quarterly basis, unlike our strategy we rebalance back to, on a quarterly basis we evaluate our tactics and try to adapt the strategy to we will constantly monitor and we will constantly adapt the strategy on the fly. That sounds That's, really hard. That is dynamic in nature. Well, it, it would be, but it depends on, it's like everything else. It depends on the parameters involved. Uh, I can, in, in essence, driving a car is dynamic. That's true because you're looking okay. in different directions. I mean, your hands are on the steering wheel, your feet are on the gas pedals. Yeah, so you're doing all these things in real time and you're responding to traffic and so forth. Your strategy would be, I need to get from here to Portland. You have to take a detour. That becomes tactical where you start to try to navigate around an accident or something like that. And then it becomes dynamic because you get caught in traffic and you have to deal with it in real time. Okay. Fair enough. Great and, analogy. And and your investments can be like that. It's like, well, I can either just be on autopilot. I get to the traffic. I just have to make my way through it. Yeah. That's or a static I can strategy. To take a separate route and reroute myself and go some other direction and do stuff. Correct. Okay. So now you also mentioned. You I want to jump into something really quick. You mentioned it in the very beginning of the show. Speculation. You threw that word out really quick, and people went, "Huh?" Okay. Great. I'm good catch. Really good catch on that one because. One of the things that people will confuse with their investment strategy is, and now I'm talking about strategy, not like strategic, just, hey, you've got a, a general plan of what you want to do with your investment. Your mix and your investments. Is, is we get into some definitional issues, right? So let's talk about what's the difference between investing and, speculating. and trading and speculating. Ooh, okay. 
vocabulary okay. test. So investing, trading, and speculating. What's the difference? What is the difference? It's what we talk about after our last break. Oh, there we go, folks. You got to stick around for the vocab lesson. All right. Cue the music. Nailed it. All right. When we come back, we're going to cover those, right? So. Right. Katie's got them written down. It'll be great. All right. And for our podcast listeners, they're like, magic, they're already back. Uh, until then, this is David Littlejohn. And Katie Schick. Yeah, True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right. Still not our own theme music, but we'll work with it. <laughs> Welcome you know, back to the home stretch of the True Wealth radio show. You're going to get it. And then, like, a month later, that'll be like our last show or something. Like, I mean, you know, it's like the grand finale. You'll finally get I mean, it'll be, you know, it'll just be forever. What? In the future. We're going to have to do this show until the end of time. Okay, fair enough. You know, um, all right, so we were doing a vocab lesson. Investing, this is a quiz for our investors out there. Yeah. Investing, trading, and speculating, or speculation. Right, because we've already covered some of the basics of we have strategic, dynamic. tactical, <laughs> strategic, tactical, and dynamic. And we, you know, we kind of... Go back and check out the podcast. I'm not going to rehash all of it. Right. Uh, it's on 541radio.com, or you can hit it up on iTunes. It'll be on our webpage at littlejohnfs.com and so forth. So lots of places to go and gobble that thing up and consume quality content. Oh, I love it. Okay. Uh, but for for those of you that are just joining us, that stuff's great, but you want to figure out. So investing, trading, speculating. Okay. So investing is what I do with my money. I give it to David, and he invests it. No. <laughs> sure, sure. What is the definition well, of investing, uh, what, David? Here's what I want to really... Uh, so investing, in essence, is uh, buying something with the expectation that it will be worth more in the future. Okay. Okay. So that's a really basic definition of but it works. an investment. But I think what is more appropriate to look at is the time horizon for everything involved here and the risk-reward parameters that you're engaged in. Okay. Investing, there really is an expectation of return over time. Right. How aggressive you are in terms of the amount of risk you're willing to take. And risk in this case is defined as how much uh, short-term loss you're willing to experience in order to achieve a short-term gain. Right. right? So because it, there's, it's a range. Yeah, because things fluctuate in value up and down. And we go right. through a lousy market cycle, they could go down. So what's your tolerance for that decline? So if you were thinking, you know, if you start at zero and you have a negative 10 and a positive 10, right? The positive is the upside, the negative is the downside. Right. And you come in and you take a risk test, which is what we do. And you say, okay, I'm willing to take up to a negative three to get a positive five. Like that's kind of your risk. Yeah. And people so, go, okay, that then I'm investing in that range. Yes. Okay. And the the concept there, there's no such thing as a riskless transaction, right? I mean, maybe you there's don't no such thing as no risk, right? Like correct. even if you bury your money in the backyard, you have inflation risk and, and there's and erosion theft and risk and, and you could lose it because yeah. you could forget where you buried it and have yeah, Alzheimer's. So, so there are no riskless transactions. So what we do is we try to manage them. Okay. But an investment, generally speaking, has an intended longer term time horizon, and to me, longer term is uh, probably didn't you say like over 10 years or even longer no than no that's that? that's just when you have when you have a long enough time horizon to be more aggressive but you could invest in relatively short terms i mean it could be maybe three months and that sounds funny it's just you're going to pick something really conservative because if you can't afford to lose it and you need it back in three months then you're going to pick something very stable like a cd or something at a bank okay so that would be an investment though where you know that this is a pretty stable high probability return okay, okay? so we talked about investing but but the time horizon is the important thing because trading is not investing. 
Okay, so what is buying, trading? Yeah, but, 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 but let me first just finish a thought. You can buy and sell while investing. You don't have to permanently own something. It's not like you have to Warren Buffett everything in your life and own it for 30 years. Okay, <laughs> Warren Buffett. He's now a verb. Yes. Like Amazon. Yes. You Amazoned it. All right. Exactly. Warren so Buffett it. You don't have to buy and hold something just forever. You can own it for a while and it can be an investment it can become a long-term investment you know i've owned it for five years it's been a good investment i'm going to sell it and do a different opportunity that was still an investment now the transaction every transaction in slang terms is a trade because you've you know changed one thing for another right okay so you're they're always trades but when we think of trading people think of like wall street and the stockbrokers and buy 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 sell 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 i right? don't even know if people really understand that either like i mean those are just visuals thrown out to people but okay so yeah. trading so but trading falls into a couple of categories you have ultra short term so that is day trading okay. where you are owning things for less than a day you could be owning things for a few seconds that is sometimes referred to as scalping right ultra short holding periods yeah you're just trying to get the few pennies in between yes okay and uh, or even fractions of a penny but do it lots of times crazy okay it is crazy but 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 it happens right thank you computers so, ultra short time horizon to anything within the same day is day trading okay if it's more than a day then it's it falls into a category that's still sort of considered day trading if it's short term like hey i'm gonna own it for just a few days but it can also start to be defined in some cases as swing trading okay swing and trading is usually for a few weeks at a time okay okay and again, some of these are semantic. They're not hard definitions. They're just sort of industry slang. Okay. And then you can do position trading. These are oftentimes longer term holds, but they're really designed around price targets. They're not so much investments as they are trades because you have a point that you want to enter and a point that you want to exit. You care less about the future of the organization than you do about making profits based on the conditions in the moment. So, so I bought it for $10 and I want to get out it. Yeah, and you know, and, and it happens in the next three weeks. It was a position trade that happened to be a swing trade. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so there can be overlap, but those are sort of the trading world. Now, here's where it gets confusing: speculation. So a lot of people that are novice investors think that they're speculating, but they're not. Right. Well, speculation is akin to gambling. There right. may be better risk reward metrics to it, but what you're saying is this one I'm taking some more significant risk on, and it's. Speculation can occur irrespective of time horizon. So when you, you were get talking a long term speculation, right? Earlier when you were talking about like the Beyond Meat, the fact that it just went public like two months ago. Mm -hmm. Right now it's speculation because no, there's no history behind it, right? Like nobody really knows if it's going to well, perform. And, and, and also nobody... the, the pricing of it, it, it would have to grow radically in order to sort of fill up the shoes that it's wearing right now right. compared to the market. So, but my point being is there's no history. There's no track record of how it's going to perform. So it's, you know, I mean, you're going, well, maybe I'll invest, maybe I won't. Yeah. And it's, I think it's tempting to want to use that history as the context for speculation. Uh, but that's it's, not it it's, necessarily it's either. not necessarily the history I mean there isn't a history on that one that's public but Beyond Meat was a private company first and it could have been around for the last 15 years so that track record is not so speculative they're just saying well now we're going to raise capital through a public offering right so I, I you know 15 years is a reasonable track record it's not a long term but it's not <laughs> short term either right okay. you know, that's been around long enough that they've had a few dings so what would be a type of position that would be speculation well speculation at this point I would say something like Tesla okay because and there hasn't been a huge they're not profitable they've been propped up by a lot of government 
programs to make it more attractive to buy the vehicles. They've had some of their issues of their own. But the speculator is saying, I believe there's a transition to electric cars in, on the horizon, and I want to be an early adopter. So I'm willing to wager that that's the direction that we go. There's evidence that it's going to happen, but it's really not the way the system is currently built. We still operate on gasoline. gasoline. Right. You know, you know, so we're in oil products. And uh, we know the trend is toward the concept of cleaner. We have a long discussion about whether or not Tesla is really cleaner because the manufacturing process uses a lot of volatile chemicals and such. But the concept is that are we going to move toward electric? Right. There's actually some great engineering principles behind electric vehicles that are superior to the internal combustion engine in terms of efficiencies and, and whatnot, except for the current time it takes to refuel them. <laughs> right, the, charging a battery takes a long time. Filling a gas tank doesn't, and the infrastructure is not there for quick charge or quick battery swap. So, you're speculating, right, that the market will mature and be there, right. But that, you have but to be willing to take the now, risk in the meantime. And people could say, "Well, no, I'm investing in this." And, well, no, you, your investment's you're right, in you Tesla, are. but you're speculating on its future because it's not for sure. Right now, nothing's ever for sure, for sure. But that's a fairly high speculation that the market's going to evolve to meet Tesla where it's going, because right. the market's not there yet. Correct. So that would be an example, and that's a and a short-term speculation might be something like Bitcoin. <laughs> right, Which I'm fun. going to speculate on Bitcoin that in the next three weeks it's going to be higher. So I'll buy some and try to sell it in three weeks. It's a trade, but it's not based on something that is easily definable in terms of intrinsic value. Right. So it's a speculation. Right. Okay. So those are those issues that people need to understand: is what's the difference between an investment and a speculation play? What's a trade versus a uh, you know versus an investment? Right. And, and they're not hard and fast, but it's one of those where I know it when I see it. You know, like you can tell when somebody's just going, yeah, I'm just playing the market right now. That's not really an investment. You're just playing price movement and trying to make some money. And there are clients that will come in and say, okay, I want 10% of my account to be speculation. Exactly. So look, I cannot believe it. It's, we're literally out of time. Are we time. out of time already? Yeah, it's How music's playing, so we got to run. Um, if, if there's other stuff you want to cover, they call us at... 541-375-0898. Okay, you heard it here, gang. Thanks, as always, for joining us in the game room. Uh, check out the podcast at uh, iTunes and all that good stuff. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN.